0: over the first 30 plus years of my life as a believer, as a minister, and as a missionary in uh, a lot of the countries of the earth. Check it out, Anthologies From the Forefront, book two, Getting Closer to God, it's on Amazon. Welcome to Foundational Missions Leadership Moment. Join your host, Scott McClelland of FX Mission, as he deep dives into the lives of leaders to glean secrets that will propel today's leaders to new heights. Here's Scott. Hi, Scott McClelland here with your FX Missions from the Forefront podcast. Happy to be with you today and uh, greetings from FX Missions Central. If you're getting this podcast, uh, please do share it with someone who uh, you know is interested in the subject of missions and ministry. We want to encourage you to take some steps out in your journey uh, with the Lord of obedience, and then pushing forward the gospel into places where it wants to grow. Excited today to be joined by Timmy Aus. Timmy, greetings. Glad to be here, Scott. It's been a while since
1: we've seen each other, but I'm glad, excited. This is going to be a fun day.
0: <laughs> well, thank you, man. Thank you. I was trying to think about how long it had been. And of course, you know, we're all moving around doing things. I think it might have been 2012 or in that range when we were working together on some missions efforts in Central America. And it's great to meet you. Just everything that, you know, the entire interaction was pleasant. Of course, we're busy people. I know you guys are. So it's uh, it's good to reconnect, man. Very good to reconnect.
1: Yeah, for sure. I've been a little bit watching what you're doing through, through social media. I'll see your posts here and there. Recently, I was in Puebla. We've got some friends in common, and you had been there a week prior to my visit. So off and on, still keeping in touch with all the great <laughs> stuff you're doing.
0: <laughs> well, same same here. Yeah. I was happy to see that you made it out there to visit the McNally's and to be a part of what they were doing there. I was on the phone, I think, yesterday or on FaceTime yesterday with, with Josh, who's the oldest son of Jerry and member of the team there yesterday. So it was, it was great to catch up with them on what's going on. And great to see that you were out there. That's exciting, man. They've got an interesting ministry and something very fruitful. So. Glad to see you contributing in their ministry school there. But you've been busy, and I want to dig in some, you know, to your personal history, your family history, and ministry, and also, you know, try to talk some about, you know, what you guys are up to, what you've been up to the last several years. Just try to get a feel for what you see the Lord doing in this time, what you guys are working in presently. I'm sure we'll run out of runway before we get our conversation complete. We may have to have you back, but I really want to find out more. So you were born in Mexico City, am I right? Yes, sir. April 2nd,
1: 1979 was the day Mexico City. It was a crazy time back then, I guess. But yes, my parents are missionaries. My grandfather was a missionary to Mexico And my father just went in those footsteps, and that's where I was born.
0: It's a super cool story. Of course, your English is uh, flawless. (laughs) You should hear my Spanish, Timmy. I've got a few more words since we were together in 2012, but it's not like your English. Let me just say that. So I've got kind of respect. Well, I I didn't have option,
1: honestly, because when I was growing up, my dad would only speak English to me. And my mom would only speak Spanish. So I don't have any knowledge of when I learned English or Spanish. I just kinda learned them
0: both at the same time. Man, that is cool. And to me, what a that's a treasure. I mean for, for a guy like me who is trying to learn Spanish later in life. To have had that as a gift, you know, <laughs> oh, from yeah. your parents and early on, what a, that's powerful, man. To me, it's wonderful, and it helps me. I, you know, I'm gotten to where I can understand most of the conversation in Spanish, and you know, a present tense, first person. I can do about fifty percent on the speak side. I mean, I can get to the restaurant, right? Or get a cab or explain something very simple and non-technical. You've but, got the yeah, surviving level on. done. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now I know you're super involved in, in youth ministry, you know, over these years that you've, you've been uh, working. Talk to us a little bit about your, you know, how you got involved in ministry and of course your dad, as you mentioned, the Aust family. I I heard about you guys before I ever met you and the pioneering work that your grandfather did was super well known around the country. Can you talk to us a little bit about that family history and we'll work toward your personal history and your involvement in how you got involved and stuff like that?
1: You know, now, as I look back, I've just been so so blessed to be born into this legacy because my grandfather, just like you say, was a true pioneer. I mean, he laid down the work for hundreds of thousands of people to experience God's love in Mexico and other countries around the world. But his commitment to giving his life for the cause of Jesus really shaped the future for for the generations after. He was a guy up in Alaska, had his future set up. He had inherited a gold mine, and in that process of staying in Alaska and just digging gold, he kind of came into grips with reality that God was calling him to Mexico and he chose to leave like his earthly inheritance behind. And it was surprising what God had in store for him. So just that power, that conviction is kind of runs in our blood. Now, I must say, like my dad, my dad never told me this is what you're going to do. This is your calling. He always he always was well, you need to see God for yourself. So that that has been something that's helped my journey. You know, because it's not mm-hmm. like I was pushed into it, but it's something that God developed. But yeah, my my grandfather left everything behind, went to Mexico after studying Bible college in Seattle, and that's where it all started.
0: That I never knew about the gold mine that's fascinating, yeah it's crazy that yeah he he kind of was set from an earthly perspective, but you know started to feel something from the Lord in terms of another kind of leading and
1: yeah I can imagine like when you have uh, this is what I found sometimes when you're not sure about your future it's easier to obey God. But when you've got a future set in the financial side of things, sometimes, honestly, our human nature will lead us to stay comfortable with what we have. So when I come to terms with with that choice he made, it really helps me understand when you choose to follow God, you really
0: have to be willing to lay it all down. Mm. Wow. True. I mean, that's something that is consistently and permanently true. Sounds like he reached that, whatever struggle he had personally, he reached that point, decided to go to Bible college, get prepared. What year did he get to Mexico?
1: I'm not sure, but it was either late 40s or early
0: 50s, somewhere in there. Wow. Late 40s, early 50s. That seems like a long time ago, but he went right to work. Now, where did he end up in Mexico? When he went to Mexico, where where did he start his his efforts? So the very
1: first outreach he had was in a small town called Los Herreras, Nuevo León, which is probably about an hour and a half south from the Laredo border. They as a family lived in Laredo and started doing a couple of outreaches. But the first, like the first person that came to to follow Jesus from his ministry was in a little town called Los Herreras, Nuevo Leon. And then he branched out into the Monterey area.
0: Okay. So really that town, for those of us who are, I mean, geographically challenged, or maybe those of us who've been through that area, Monterey is just due south of Laredo, right? I mean, it's just straight down the road. And it sounds like this place where they started their first outreaches while living in Laredo, where it's about halfway to Monterey from Laredo, or or there in the middle somewhere, maybe not halfway. Am I getting it right? yeah it practically is halfway between Monterey and Laredo yes, that must have been a small town i've I've driven that very section of road a few times and it's it's rocky and uh it still is it, you know <laughs>
1: it still is a very very small town I mean more than a town back then it was probably more like a small village.
0: Yeah, like maybe not a town. Of course, in Monterey, is uh, when I go to Puebla, I hear about how important, you know, the the rank of importance. And I've been to Puebla a bunch of times and around the country, some as well, less so than in Puebla. But, you know, there's a little contention about which city in New Mexico is most important.
1: Well, it it depends (laughs) who you ask. That's always what it's going to come down to. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's everybody there's uh,
1: everybody has their angle on their yeah. importance level.
0: Yeah, and, and it somehow it's tied off into self-importance to go with it. I or it's so it seems to me, but there's no contest that Mexico City's what they call the most important city in the country. But after that, anything is negotiable, right?
1: <laughs> well, this is the thing. Mexico is so centralized that everything has to go through mexico city but every city has their own little thing like puebla is developed a lot like with the colleges and the university so they're up there with the development of leadership and schooling and college Monterey, on the other hand, is very industrial, so they've got a lot of things. And then there's Guadalajara, there's Querétaro, there's there's a lot of cities that have really good things happening, but it's not like in the States. Like here in the States, there is so many big cities that are vital to the economy in in the country that Mexico is not quite there yet, but it, it's getting there little by little.
0: Right, yeah, for sure. I love Mexico. I've I've been there north of fifty times. I mean, maybe I don't know. I'll cross a hundred at some point, but going very consistently for near twenty years. Super thankful for the people, everything I've experienced there. It's been it's been wonderful, and I and I love it. I, Mexico City is not my favorite city. I got to say that it's, <laughs> we're
1: gonna have some, we're gonna have some issues today. <laughs>
0: Well, I, t- I feel overwhelmed. I mean, it's not like you. It's just a lot to take in. Oh, it's I guess crazy, that's what it
1: is, right? It's crazy, and probably that's why I love it.
0: Well, yeah, but you're you're like a digital native when it comes to the internet. When compared to to Mexico City, and I'm like this guy who's you know from the woods, no experience with anything that size. Beautiful place. So many, so much variety. The richness of culture, the the wonder of the people. I really love it in that sense, but I do feel I still I've been through there probably 50 times, but I still feel overwhelmed by Mexico City.
1: You just haven't experienced the Timmy off Mexico City tour.
0: We gotta make that a date, bro. That's gotta happen. It's gotta happen. That needs to happen. Yeah, because I I I could start to feel a little bit of I mean Every time I find out I get familiar with one part of the city, then I find out about another part of the city that I, you know, Las Lomas or uh, Reforma or <laughs> It's crazy El Zocalo, or you know, or whatever. So we're gonna do that. I think for me, the contest or the different commentaries on important cities always Monterey is is in the top cities of importance in Mexico. Guadalajara is very important. Monterey, there's some contest as to whether Guadalajara or Monterey or Monterey or Guadalajara, you know what order they go in. Of course, you got Juarez and, and Puebla and and some of these other cities. But Monterey seemed like a strategic place for what began to happen in the history of the ministry there. You guys, after being in Laredo and then getting the the first conversions in that part between Laredo and Monterey, you guys settled sort of a ministry base in the Monterey area. Am I having it right? That's what I've heard or what I think I know.
1: Yeah. As a matter of fact, the way it happened was it all started in this little town called Los Herreras, but the main effort was based out of Monterey. When that got settled in, then it was Puebla, actually then my grandfather moved to puebla oh wow and then he moved to mexico city so it was a little bit of trying to figure out what was the best route and i think i think that because of him not going straight to mexico city that opened the possibilities of really reaching the whole country because if he would have gone straight to mexico city that's where he would have stayed. There is so much to do in that city. Mm-hmm. He probably would have just stopped there. But because of him not starting in Mexico City, it really helped him reach
0: the rest of the country. that That's my angle anyway. Yeah, it makes sense what you're saying. It's kind of a progression. I mean, for me, I think about these heroes of the faith, you know, that we just so happens you have one in your family you know, the progress, you know, how God was moving them and the process they went through. I think that's instructive to us that are coming behind them that we can learn that, it. you know, it takes everybody has a process. Even those who have accomplished incredible results for the kingdom, they went through a process to get there. So with his process, Monterey, Puebla, then Mexico City, that to me is like, I don't know if it's comforting or maybe it's reassuring, but I'm thankful that we all go through the process and that gives me courage to keep going in my process. So very cool. I didn't realize he went to Puebla from Monterey. That there's a Bible school still in the Monterey area. If I if I I know you guys are are training ministry leaders and such there. And maybe we can summarize some of how things went forward in the ministry over the past. I guess it would be 70 years almost, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> something like, like that. A long time, but yeah. But there was uh, there were phases, I know. There was, of course, initial outreach. I heard the stories about him flying his plane around and dropping leaflets about come to a meeting, then he... You know, then he would have a meeting, he would get converts, he'd take them to the Bible school, get them trained. I mean, there was a lot going on in those early days, and he was something of a maverick or like someone who was doing things that no one had done before. Am I remembering it right? Yeah, he he went to every length possible
1: to share the love of Jesus. I mean, his whole idea of how to invest his life was the name is Ost and we're reaching the lost at any cost. I mean, he was just like, we are going to give it all. And he started with a plane. He started with a plane. Then that's how he reached most of the villages. Then, Then he went into towns, then into bigger cities. But he, I mean, after the plane, he went into radio, but when he started his radio programs, he's like, okay, what is the most popular radio station? Well, the most popular radio station plays like this Musica Ranchera and Cumbias. That's where I want to be. So he'd get on the radio right after the most popular program and like, out there the way he actually got into mexico city was amazing because god provided for him a brand new plane and he sold the plane and he went to mexico city and bought an old wine warehouse so (laughs) so he got on the radio in mexico city and he's like he starts advertising his service and he's like This wine warehouse shut down, but come and get some new wine. It's better. You're going to, it's going to be better for you. Just come and get some new wine. So, what actually happened there at that first (laughs) church he started was a revival. They started having services from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., seven days a week. I mean, it was nonstop for a couple of years there because people were like, New wine? Yeah. And then they'd show up and <laughs> and people were just sharing the gospel. It was, it was quite a run they had there as they went into Mexico City.
0: Wow. Now this this would have been well around what years that this particular when he got to Mexico City. This probably would have been early 70s. Okay. Early 70s. Awesome. Awesome. Wow. Oh, I'm just thrilled. You know, you're you're telling me more of the story than I knew. So I, I'm really I was I, I don't think any you could go anywhere in the Christian community in, in Mexico and, and not people wouldn't be familiar with those efforts, because we I think a lot of times from the states, we don't really understand the process of the gospel in Mexico. And sort of the contention, the Catholicism, you know, when we think about Catholicism in the U S we think about it as a denomination as one of many, basically no different than a Methodist or, or a Baptist or Episcopal or Presbyterian or whatever. That is not the case in Mexico. I learned that very early on. It's a really a different, it's a different thing. And, you know, I think the early efforts to evangelize from a, evangelical point of view, or however you call it, were met with some serious resistance. And I think it was, there was a lot of, uh, just a different climate for the gospel. I know I'm not doing it justice, but I think what I've said is correct. It probably isn't complete.
1: <laughs> yeah. Just on the, on the lines of that, one thing my, my grandpa understood is we need to make a turning point. Because as you say, Catholicism is very different in Mexico than here in the States. So one of the things he did as, as he started, he started Mexico City. And one of the small things he did was bringing a music band into the church. So, automatically, that would make it different than what people are used to with the Catholic Church. So, he started bringing drums in, uh, electric guitars, and bass guitars. And all of a sudden, like, the main newspapers in Mexico City were like, church has become a circus, you know? So, those headlines (laughs) in the main newspapers only got more people to come to church. So... It was amazing. He was the first to allow a drum set into the church in Mexico, the first to allow guitars into the church. So he was really a trailblazer in a sense for a lot of the things that that are happening now. But that allowed him to share the message in a different point of view than what people Mm. had seen because – if we go back in the history of Mexico, when Mexico was conquered by the Spaniards, religion or God was a method to oppress. So that's the way the culture sees God as an oppressor, as a like a dictator. So in the culture, a little bit, that's what bleeds through Catholicism. So with this new way of seeing God, it's like, wait, God is also interested in me? He also wants to heal me? He also wants to forgive me? So that was that was a turning point to so many people to really being able to experience the love of God. Wow.
0: Yeah. The- uh, actually. Thank you for joining Scott with today's leadership moment. We hope you've apprehended an inspirational nugget or two that when activated in your own life will be imparted into those you lead. You may contact Scott at scott at fxmissions.com. Visit fxmissions.com to learn more about how you can grow your own leadership and engage in missions. Until next time, good day everyone.